Welcome to the Deep Waters Podcast. We pray that Christ is at the beginning, in the middle, and at the end of all we do. May openness and shalom mark our discussions. As we engage in the conversations about the fresh move of God, may our hearts be drawn to unity. And in all things, may this shape us to look more like you, Jesus. Amen. Grab your favorite cup of peppermint tea and enjoy the Deep Waters Podcast. Hi, Benjamin. Hey, Jace. It's a good day to be alive. Isn't it? How are you stewarding your day so far? Oh, wow. Great question. <laughs> it looks like a lot of meetings so far, honestly, yeah. but uh, it's been a good day. Busy work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think I'm stewarding it all right. I've eaten pretty well. I could have slept better last night, mm. but you know, do I guess I could have right. eaten more. Sure. Mm-hmm. I said I only had a smoothie and a bean burrito and I feel like I'm just not getting all the nutrients I need. You haven't had enough Sour Patch. That is true. <laughs> I haven't had nearly enough. Never. Um... That's great. Well, today we're uh, doing kind of a bonus episode in the stewardship conversation. Yeah. Really. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've talked about stewardship of our relationship with God, with ourselves, with others, with creation, and how shalom is something that is to exist in all of our relationships holistically. Yeah. And so far we've sort of skirted around the concept of money because we felt like that affected self and others and creation and could just make a really good conversation all on its own. So totally, that's what we're here to do today. It's a big topic. Yeah, there's there's really so much we could cover. I guess like any of these podcasts, we're scratching the surface. When, I mean, when you were sitting down to think about this uh, topic, what do you think about, how do you think about money? What does Benjamin think about mm-hmm. money? You know, that has been an evolving story in my life. I would say in college, I was reading a lot of theologians and I was also, you know, I have two majors. I have an economics major and a theology major. I don't know if I knew that. Oh, really? Yeah. So I I studied economics and in econ, I would see all of these different models and graphs for how like the economy flows well. Um, what makes financial markets happy, open trade, um, low regulations, all of these things. I started to ask questions like, well, what about like the human rights issue? And there were a few good economists that we studied that had good answers to that. Um, one of them was called the triple bottom line that I really loved saying that the only bottom line should not be money. Um, we should have multiple bottom lines and the triple bottom line had to do with that. It's funny. I haven't thought about this in like 10 years, not that long, but um, one of them had to do with like environmental care and care for the earth and then also social well-being. I think the three was finances, social well-being and environmental well-being. Uh, you could even Google that, but um, I'd say with an exception of that, probably for the most part, I felt like in my economics degree, I was just frustrated feeling like, I was being set up to make as much money as possible. And then in my theology classes, I would be reading about monks who vowed poverty for their whole life in order to look more like our God who chose homelessness during his ministry yeah, and asked his 
asked his disciples to go out on mission without even a handbag or a satchel to carry anything in. You know, it's like, just go out and like the Lord will prepare a way for you and you will be cared for in these towns and cities the first time on their first missionary journey, at least. So uh, I felt like I was kind of caught between worlds. And what I decided was um, this economics world, this finance world doesn't feel like it's um, embracing the way of Jesus. And this theology world is. And so what I decided to do was kind of um, just not think about money. Mm -hmm. I felt like if the love of money is the root of evil, then thinking about money at all is a problem. And so I didn't want to accumulate it. I didn't want to think about it. I just kind of lived and I tried to not spend a lot of money and give money away. Um, but it wasn't at all calculated or strategic. Yeah. Um, and then after college, anyway, my, I just say in a nutshell, eventually in my post-grad life, I learned about what I would say looks like healthy Christian financial stewardship. And I started to become really passionate about that and recognize, yes, it's the love of money, the obsession of money, especially that's like really the root of evil. When we forget that God is our provider, we start to provide for ourselves and we provide for our future selves in retirements and building big barns. If you want to use Jesus's analogy. Um, and, it's more about your posture of heart, I suppose. And, Mm -hmm. um, there are ways to set yourself up with kingdom finance that utilizes money strategically for the sake of the kingdom of God. Yeah. Um, yeah. And also is such a way that you're not the rich young ruler that won't follow Jesus because you have so many things, you know? Yeah. To not be attached to really anything except God. Yeah, is the goal. If we can really, I've asked myself this a lot. Um, Like Benjamin, are you in the place where if Jesus approached you and said, sell everything right now, give all of your money away. Um, If Jesus asked me to do that, would I be able to? I hope so. (laughs) I hope (laughs) so too. If like a friend of mine came to me in a prophetic word and told me that I would probably say, Hmm, that doesn't sound like God. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. I'd have to like weigh the prophetic word and see, wow, how convinced am I that that's actually Jesus? Cause that's a pretty big deal, you know? Yeah. That is a big deal. I want to like, you know, just little quick honor of Benjamin. I've seen how well he stewards money. Hmm. Like he's got these spreadsheets, the size of tables, (laughs) tablecloths, like king size mattress size <laughs> spreadsheets oh no detailing all of his money i have become a spreadsheet guy <laughs> and it's so good i'm like that that feels like the man who didn't waste his talents wow. like you're like putting it all in there and caring for each little cent wow to to make sure it's like multiplied mm. the best you can i think that's so good mm. wow. and that inspires me to like manage my money better too thanks jace yeah i'm honored by that it's definitely something that I have tried to do, recognizing that I have not done it very well for a lot of my life. Um, and I want to do it as well as I can for my life moving forward. For sure. I never want to accumulate wealth for wealth's sake or for security's sake, because I want only Jesus to be my provider. And I also want to be really, um, creative and responsible and utilize my talents, if you will. Yeah. Like you said for the sake of the kingdom of God. 
That's so good. Yeah. So maybe it's worth bringing up that parable. Yeah, for sure. Of talents. Mm -hmm. I think this is just kind of a fun little note that Jesus talks about money in 11 of his 39 parables. So it will commonly be said that Jesus talked about money more than anything else. It's his favorite topic, (laughs) which I think other than, you know, obviously the kingdom of God, he talks about the kingdom of God in every of his parables. All of them are about the kingdom of God, but, um, but money of topics, not sexuality. You know, we can split hairs over sexuality mm-hmm. in the church oh, yeah. or over different leadership models. All the while, we're avoiding the conversation around money because it feels cringy and awkward. <laughs> and Jesus yeah. like, is not afraid to say, hey, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. Mm-hmm. Which... If you're not familiar with that story, there's some people in Jesus's life that come up to him and say, there's this big political dispute. Should the Jews be tithe or taxing? Paying, paying their, taxes, their taxes. Yeah. Thank you. Um, and it's like, oh, this is going to be a really cool creative trap. And we're going to see what Jesus says. And like, is he going to agree with the people on one side or the other in this great debate of his time? And he cuts a third way, which is so classic of Jesus. And he's like, whose face is on that coin? Caesar. Okay, then give to Caesar what belongs to him and give to God what belongs to him. Which, like, what's the implication of that? Uh, well, I mean, I think <laughs> the common way I've been told is like, yeah, pay your taxes. Don't be like some rebellious person that's just going to make Christians look bad. <laughs> sure. You know? Yeah. And it's also interesting that like, yeah, and like the idea of like what we give to the Lord, maybe it doesn't have to always look like what has the president's face on it mm. too. Totally. I just thought of that for the first time. That's good. But I've always thought of it in the in the, in the framework of t- taxes. Like, like literal taxes yeah. to the American government. Pay your taxes. Like, yeah, come on. Which Be an upstanding citizen. Yeah, and there's an argument for all kinds of stuff in there about <laughs> taxes and how much taxes and, uh-huh. you know, what should we be paying for as a country you know right we could do a big political conversation but we're gonna just scooch around that (laughs) and move on but i guess to me what's fun about jesus's response is especially the latter part of it where it says give to god what is god's my question to myself is what is god's then oh well he is the creator of literally everything (laughs) (laughs) that's a good point yeah and if i'm to give god what is his, then I'm to hold nothing back from him. Wow. That is really good. I'm really confident. That's what Jesus is saying right there. Totally. Which is his bigger point even than tithing, I think, or taxing, being, dang it, paying his taxes. Oof. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to say taxing, like I'm saying tithing. It's all good. That's where my head is. Anyway, there's so much grace, but yeah. Okay. Do we want to, do you said you want to start with the talents thing? Yeah. Do you want to read the parable? That's or? A, that's a good place to start. Maybe we could just paraphrase it. For sure. One thing that could be fun to say is um, if you're not super familiar with the Bible, you likely hear the word talent and you think of like a skill. <laughs> like, oh, he has such a talent for. Nunchuck I, skills. Nunchuck skills. Bow staff skills. You computer know. Computer hacking skills. Yeah. Skills. Girls like skills. <laughs> His hand-eye coordination is great. What a talented young man. 
<laughs> um, and that's kind of a fun little play on words that we could do, but that's not what the Bible means when it says talents. I've heard, I've heard like messages of like, you know, the things you're good at give to the Lord, in yeah. that, which is like also everything's God's, you know, totally all that we have and all that we are is, is God and for yeah. God. So yes, that is true. But in this story, this is about money. This is about money. But yeah, that's totally true. But this story is about money. <laughs> it's like saying um, denarii. And then you're over there thinking, what is that? Oh, it's a, it's a measurement of money in Jesus's day and age. So was a talent. Um, and I just did a little bit of research before this. I discovered that a denarii is roughly one day's wages. Okay. Um, so like when the workers come out into the field and they're hired by that landowner and they all get paid the same, even though they work different amounts of hours, they all make one whole day's wages, a denarii in that story. So think of it as a, like a unit of money. A talent is 6,000 denarii. Oh, wow. That's a lot. Yeah. I just did some, <laughs> I just did some calculation. If the per capita income in Boise, Idaho is $40,000, um, which in 2023 estimates say the average person in the city of Boise, um, not counting Meridian and the surrounding area, I think makes 40 grand a year. Then you cut that up, um, by number of days in a year. And the person's making like $109 and 59 cents a day. Multiply that by 6,000. One talent in today's dollars would probably be somewhere around $658,000. Nice. $658. So in this story, um, think of it that way then. In this story, there's a manager who comes to three different servants. He gives one of them a bag with $658,000 in it. That's, That's one talent. Yeah. That guy's sweet. That's like Ocean's Eleven. Yeah. <laughs> and then another guy gives two talents, I think. And then the last guy gives five talents. And the five talents is $3.2 million. $3.3 million. That's wild. So in today's money, that guy's balling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Um, and he wow, says, like, crazy. take care of my money for me. And then the manager leaves. And the story goes that the person with the five talents and the person with the two talents go out and invest and like make businesses or whatever. And they multiply the manager's money. But then the person who just had one talent, the $657,000 or so, um, he buried it in the ground because he was afraid that the manager was going to be angry if he lost any of the money. Yeah. Um, and then the manager gets frustrated with him and he says, you could have at least deposited it into a bank and made interest but you didn't even do that because you were afraid of me and then he like redistributes the wealth and there's this big puzzle at the end but the the main thing i think that we can walk away with is that jesus is saying i'll give you things to steward and i want you to steward them well and when you do is when you come before your master and you hear well done my good and mm -hmm. faithful servant yeah that definitely has to do with money as well as every other part of your life. Yeah. I, yeah, I, th I think that like, uh, sorry. Um, I know some people are like super stingy with their money. 
mm-hmm. you know, and and a lot of it sometimes is like from God. It's like we're, it's I need to be, you know, hold it all because it's the Lord's, and I want to be responsible. Mm-hmm. But I wonder if there's some argument against the completely closed handedness of that. Um, mm-hmm. just to like you know, like like these other ones, like invested it and it multiplied, which is great. But they also weren't afraid didn't have the scarcity mindset that like God's going to be mad if I lose any of it or all that kind of thing too. Yeah. You know what I'm kind of going for? Yeah, I think so. It's like maybe like there's, there's a balance there between being completely close fisted for the sake of stewardship mm-hmm. and being open handed for the sake of, sake of stewardship too. Wow. Yeah. I guess you could, I like the way you phrase that because you could justify either as a form of stewardship. And it seems like the manager only views the investment as a proper stewardship. Mm-hmm. The guy who buried it and made nothing with it um, failed to steward what he was given Yeah, in the eyes of the manager. Um, so I guess that should challenge us, I think, if we're not thinking somewhat strategically about our wealth. Mm-hmm. At least that's what that parable has done to me. Um, and I don't want to like project too much my own interpretation of scripture on everyone, but it seems to me like, um, Jesus is saying, Hey, consider strategically with wisdom and shrewdness. The word shrewd even comes up in a later parable about wealth, um, that we are to be clever with our management of our possessions that were given by God. Um, like, what does that one word say? Um, be clever as a snake, but as innocent as a dove or something. Do you know that? No. Those words from Jesus? I like it. Be shrewd as a snake and as innocent as a dove. I think it's something like that. Um, which is to say, like, don't be a criminal, but be strategic. Uh, and I think that can challenge a lot of us that don't think enough about our money Um, How can I take this and recognize that the money can be a tool for the sake of the building of the kingdom of God? And then we can get more into what that means a little bit later. Totally. Don't you think? Yeah. I think basically what I'm saying is if you're sitting on your hands and like wasting opportunity um, that God has given you in your resources, then I think these parables probably have something to tell us that should convict us. I've felt convicted Mm -hmm. by them. No, that's a good word. You were we were referring to Matthew ten sixteen. Oh, nice. What does and it say? You, yeah, be as shrewd as a serpent, yet innocent as a dove. There you go. Okay, so like, don't be a, a criminal, <laughs> like doing bad things, but be clever. Man, Jesus and God love paradoxes, don't they? <laughs> you know? Yeah, you're right. It's like be a snake. You're like, oh yeah, I get to be a snake and a dove. You're like, oh, what? <laughs> what else does it do with that? You that, know, like takes away all of the. I'm a dove snake. <laughs> I'm a flying snake. Yeah. <laughs> Take that clownfish. It's <laughs> a little Easter egg for you. <laughs> Deep waters podcast listeners. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I guess we could say there's a spectrum of the way that you can manage your money. And one is this like negligent, I'm burying my money. And the Bible talks about that. Um, the other side of the spectrum is... I'm obsessive over my money and I'm trying to accumulate more and more of it all the time. And you let it like rule your desires mm. and emotions, Whoa. you know? Whoa. Yeah. If you're making like choices in your life that may, might not look like Jesus for the sake of money and its gains, like that's probably a sign that you're bloody, like the love of mammon mm. 
something like that. Yeah, it's great. Like rule your life. Amen. And that's not what we were going for. Jesus says you can only serve one master. You cannot serve both God and mammon, which was the like ancient God of money. So you can only serve either me, the spiritual power that rules over all, or that deceptive spiritual power that rules over your wealth. Is that the God that you want to serve? Because, I mean, you can see how deceitful, you know, this idea of wealth is for so many people, mm-hmm. you know, because it's this, it's this uh, never, it's an insatiable desire. Wow. Yeah. Like there's always someone that has something that you don't have. Always. Always. Like you look at the, the top tier of people. It's mm-hmm. probably the biggest area of competition of my boat's bigger than your boat and my company now has a space jet that can get me up to space is better than yours can like it's like it's just more and more and more um and i think i mean you start to see that early on too yeah you're making 100k you know i i want i mean i can finally get a bmw but you get the low like the cheapest bmw Mm -hmm. and then everyone else that you see has bmws are nicer you know that's like that's like the car companies just like ladder those you know different mm-hmm. models up and up and up so you can you know you can get a bmw it's this big moment wow. but there's one that costs a million dollars and you don't have that wow so it's insatiable mm-hmm. comparison mm-hmm. Like sneaks in and you always feel less than inadequate keeping up with the joneses is now like a person's primary concern in that in that model or that formula and you aren't content with what you have. And I think there's some, we talked about it, I think in the others episode or maybe creation about may our purchases be um, motivated by even like the craft and the human craftsmanship that goes into something. Mm. And like, you know, the, the whole picture of each purchase and not just the comparison of this brand or that brand, you know? Because if you're buying something just for a label instead of how it was made and the quality of it, like mm-hmm. you're just, you're essentially sponsoring comparison. Right. Instead of sponsoring human creativity. Wow. That was great. I love that. I feel like I just got that right now. Well done. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's uh, reminding me that Jesus says, don't be anxious about anything, what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear. Look at the flowers. Look at the birds. Jesus says, God takes care of them. And doesn't he care for you more than them? He says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these other details that you could be anxious about. They're going to be taken care of. Don't freak out about them. Just follow the kingdom. Live in the kingdom. That's such a good word. And that's what he says right before he says, you can only serve one of two masters. Oh, come on. God or mammon. Way to tie that in. Yeah. And Jesus is wise. He is. <laughs> Go figure. God. Yeah. <laughs> the Come source on. of wisdom. Uh, yeah. So, oh, there's so much that we could say. I and know. so many directions we yeah. could go, aren't I'll there? I'll let you steer it from here. Okay. Well, Jesus has a lot to say to people who choose to serve mammon rather than God. Mm-hmm. Um, and people who look like they're serving mammon or who look like they're serving God, but are actually serving mammon. Uh, actually, I don't have this on my notes, um, but it just popped into my mind. It's kind of a brutal story, but in Acts, 
Um, there's a couple people that withhold gifts of generosity from the church. Sapphira and yeah, what's Ananias? Ananias, yeah. I want to say it's Acts five. I don't remember. Um, but they they withhold. They say they've given everything that they were meant to in generosity, but they withheld back um, because they couldn't quite part with all their things. And then it's really mysterious and it's kind of a disturbing, I mean, it's not kind of, it's, it's totally very a disturbing, disturbing story. Yeah. Um, they both drop dead one after the other. Um, it's like the conviction of the Holy Spirit on their deceit is so great that it overcomes them. And there's a lot of stuff going on that I don't know, mm -hmm. but I've heard that is like comparing them with Aaron's two sons that walk into the tabernacle with strange fire is what it's called. They like go offering gifts that were not the correct way. And um, we think that they maybe were drunk when they did that. And there's, there's some uh, textual uh, connections between those two and Ananias and Sapphira, which is to say like there are people who are trying to enter the holiness of God's new temple in the new creation um, very incorrectly and the holiness of God will still strike them from time to time. I guess I honestly, I don't really know what to do with that passage. I'm going to continue to lot. wrestle with it. Yeah. I'm like, I've always been curious if you'd ever bring that up on the podcast because I don't know what to do with it either. But one thing, even just like, I think from a basic standpoint, we can see that the mismanagement of money and our resources leads to death. And that's in a, a great basic sense, you know, mm -hmm. where when you are managing and you're giving and you're open handed, you're like producing life and giving and creating instead of just consuming, mm. which leads just to death. Right. That's a great conclusion. Thank you for that. Because I feel like you could think about why was God so cruel to just kill him all of a sudden or something, but their decisions led them into that. Death. Yeah. And I also, I also hold fast to the mercy of God, you Amen. know, and the slow mercy. And mm -hmm. so it's like, there's, we probably don't get the full picture and I have to just, I, I trust that God is who he is, right? you know? And so that, that story doesn't like scare me, you mm -hmm. know, like if I, I mean, we can get into it, but like, if I, if I don't give 10% on the dot, you know, if I'm a few yeah. pennies short, gonzo. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe that. Tough. Direct. I don't believe that at all. So, hmm. well, yeah, I, uh, maybe that's a good bridge into the concept of tithing. Should we start talking about that? Sure. Um, cause we could go into Jesus's parables until we're blue in the face about money. You know, there's the guy who builds up the storehouse and then he dies the next day. And Jesus says, now all of his wealth is rotten. Mm -hmm. He was trying to provide for his future and look what it did for him. Nothing. And that, I mean, I think there's, there's, there's a strain of, I don't want to, I'm not saying this out of any judgment at all. There's a strain of Christianity and conservative Christianity that is into prepping and stockpiling. And I don't yeah. know, I don't know what to do. I don't, I'm not to say that that is like completely wrong, you know? And I think if you're spending all your money on that, like I think the Bible does say things against that. But that's just something to think about, you wow. know, if you're just so worried about what tomorrow brings, you're not trusting the Lord that he's going to provide for you. Like wow. he does the flowers and the birds. It's good. And 
yeah, I'm not, I'm not here to like, mm-hmm. you know, judge anyone, but I think that's, that's, that's a thing I've seen of like, you know, what, how much money are you putting into the, the stock piles and the prepping mm-hmm. for whatever might come, um, that's tying up money you could be helping your neighbor with wow, or feeding the poor with, or yeah, yeah a million things yeah, that, that are more life-giving. And that seems like what everything that you just said feels very biblically grounded to me because, and maybe someone would disagree with me who like views end times in a certain way and thinks we have to be preparing for the tribulation. That's, that's a conversation I'm not very good at having because when I hear that conversation, I think about God in the desert with the people saying, collect the manna for today. And if you collect enough for tomorrow, it will rot. Um, or I guess right before the Sabbath, they could collect for two days, but God was very intentionally trying to teach them dependence. Uh, Jesus did the same thing with his disciples when he sent them on that first missionary journey. Uh, Jesus was saying the same thing when he said, don't be anxious about what you eat or what you'll wear. So like that, that feels very biblically grounded. the podcast listener, longtime listener, uh, this reminds me of, I think our first episode with pastor Paul from Southeast Asia. Yeah. Um, and he talked about how I think even comparing our cultural moment and theirs, um, which is just marked by a lot more dependence and poverty, you know, Mm -hmm. like we here just don't have that opportunity to kind of see God provide for us. Mm -hmm. But when he was talking about the building of their church and, they needed this money and they don't have it like it's, or this amount of tiles. I forget right. the the complete story, but God showed up time and time again because they were willing to be dependent. They weren't like just hoarding something for the future. Mm, that's so good. And I think that's really, really cool. Really beautiful. There's something that that should teach us. I'm remembering a man who ran a mission. Um, it was an orphanage in London, in the 1800s, I think he was just a wonderful Christian named George Mueller, who is kind of famous for never asking anyone for donations, but only ever praying. Wow. And his orphanage was taken care of for decades, I think. Um, I don't know if you've heard, there's like a really cute story of his that kind of became famous where he gathered all the children of the orphanage around the table and prayed for food and all of their everything was empty. They didn't have any food, but they sat down waiting for breakfast to come because they were expecting that God was going to feed them that morning. And then a bread truck broke down right in front of their orphanage. And the guy knocked on the door and said, Hey, I, I can't deliver. Well, it wasn't a bread truck. It was like, um, cause it was the 1800s. I'm pretty sure it was like a horse drawn carriage yes, yeah. that like lost a wheel or something. Mm-hmm. Lost a um, horse. You lost a horse. The horse ran away. Yeah. <laughs> and um, the guy just gave them all their bread. He's like, I can't bring this to its destination anymore and it's going to go bad. Can you use it? And then within half an hour, the same exact thing happened to a milk carriage. 
Um, that's crazy. That's so cool. Isn't that fun? Oh, wow. Which that's is like amazing. one teeny example from George Mueller's orphanage. Um, but I know that like when people depend on the Lord, I've even seen it in my life a little bit when I was preparing for some missions that I did. Um, God provides in ways that you don't expect him to, which just to me proves only God. Yes, totally. And isn't that a faith builder? Like you could live that way. Um, and within, you know, like a certain amount of reason so that you're not just negligent with your money. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay. Well, in order to live that oh, way, gosh. I'm just going to spend yeah. all, all my money I can yeah. on designer clothing. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's not the way that you should live that way. But mm-hmm. out of generosity mm-hmm. and trust and dependency, mm-hmm. God, God will, God will demonstrate His faithfulness. Yeah, I'm sure of it. That's so cool. Not that it'll be easy. No, I mean I've heard countless stories like that, right? which is so beautiful and so faith building, like you said. And I think I think even in my life, I've seen the Lord provide so many opportunities and so many open doors but i've also seen in my life like a co-laboring that has like Mm. happened Mm -hmm. and that could be maybe partially my own insecurity and scarcity and feel like i need to be a part of it too so i don't know how that all balances out but i also see i think especially in our culture there are often times where it's like god's meeting you with opportunities but it's going to take like your 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 work in it too like an active thing not like a workspace but kind of like we talked about with shalom like this Mm. active um task set before us co-laboring with christ that's very good god isn't asking you to just sit back apathetically and wait for him to spoon feed you he's he's like hey be my partner in this and work alongside me i'm not going to provide for all of your needs Without you putting some skin in the game, I feel like maybe God would say something like that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe I think I again with love and care and so much situational. Totally, it's so different. You know, like I think we could we came up with a, a. I think we could come up with a ton of different antidotes. Uh-huh. That would be like, you know, a man traveling to an orphanage in the desert. You know, and like <laughs> right. he's going to help and save these kids and. God's going to provide for him and uh-huh. he's just there. He's not like working or calling or like, yeah. you know, it's like, but here it's like, there's a million resources everywhere. Like there's probably something that we were supposed to utilize the resources around us too, yeah. you know? So yeah. I don't know. It's That's complicated. Good. It is. It's really complicated. Mm-hmm. And in order to complicate this conversation even further, <laughs> we could talk about, the spiritual discipline remedy that God gives us to work on this whole situation um, so that we don't fall into the love of money. I want to read this from first Timothy six, where it says the love of money yeah, is the root do. of all evil. We often pull that verse out of this little paragraph. And I was reading this paragraph earlier and I just love it. So I want to read the whole thing. Um, it says this first Timothy six verses six through 10. But godliness with contentment is great gain for we brought nothing into the world. This is Paul speaking. We brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we had food and clothing with these, we will be content. (laughs) He's not asking for much. Yeah. (laughs) But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare or a trap into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money 
is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. In context, isn't that so much better? Yes, Mm -hmm. like really powerful and convicting. Good night. (laughs) (laughs) It is. Well, even I just love like if we have food and clothing with these, we'll be content. Boom. I've been thinking a lot about, I mean, part of my job at the church has been in communication and connecting people that need need things mm-hmm. in the in the valley um and through kind of church legalese we call it benevolence yeah. and so just helping people generosity and so that's what we use some of the church tithe money for is to turn around and give back and help people that are in need but i'm also like trying i want to i would love to like turn a phrase like even in a lot of our written words at our church about like what are the needs you have you know and make that like this public thing but I'm like, what counts as a need, you know? Wow. And Paul is like food and clothing, you know? It's, it's really simple, you <laughs> yeah. know? I'd also add housing onto that too. Yeah. But I don't know if that's a day and age thing or, or what that is. But I just love the simplicity of that. Mm. And even all of the desires that are in my heart for many things in this world, many physical things that you buy with money that I think are cool or, man, it'd be nice to have a bigger car or whatever it is. It's like... God will, God's going to provide. Yeah. I need to not, I I think I worry about that too much or even Mm. just think about it and brainstorm about it and like, Ooh, this car could be kind of fun. And I'm just sitting here feeling convicted of like, maybe my mental space is best used in other ways, Mm. um, in more intentional ways than, than worrying about things outside of food and clothing. Which is why I think it's so critical to remember that um, when I was in the developing world, I heard there are three different kinds of poverty, um, and financial poverty and like our financial well being tends to have an inverted relationship with our spiritual and social well being. And typically, I think what some social, um, I was going to say some socialists, some <laughs> sociologists have said is that the more you have, typically, the more um, socially and spiritually poor you are. Um, And there's, there was a study that came out years ago about the bell curve of actual happiness when it comes to wealth. Um, That it's not just some kind of exponential curve that you just get happier the more you have. But there's, there's like a kind of poverty where you're not well, you need to make some money and then you get happier and happier the more money you make only up to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. And then if you make more money beyond that, you start to fill your life with trouble. Um, this, it was like a secular study that was done, I think in 2019, maybe 2018. Um, and I just found it fascinating. I remember teaching out of it in a public English class once because I wanted to convict some students Students who were just chasing after money and, um, Anyway, all this to say, like, this is a measurable principle. Like, you can either serve God or mammon, and that the love of mammon or money is the root of all kinds of evil. Like, the secular world can see this, too. Um, And that's why Ecclesiastes said that wealth is meaningless. You chase after it, and you find yourself emptier than you were before you started. And usually more alone. Wow. Because we're talking about like social connection and everything. It's like the more you're able to rely on yourself, the less you're going to be like, hey, could I borrow this? Or, hey, I need a little help with this. Do you have like, 
you know, like you're, you're why you're leaning less on your neighbors and your community and more on yourself. Wow. That's cool. I'm glad that you said it that way. Yeah. I mean, it's like we're designed to lean on each other. We really are. Yeah. So there's definitely like a sweet spot, you know? Hmm. hmm. And to this whole conversation, um, I think we can bring up tithing. Yeah. Like in the old Testament, tithing was a certain thing in the church today. Tithing is kind of a different thing. Um, there can be a lot of shame around this conversation or awkward church sermons where it feels like, you know, someone's handing out like a bucket at the end of a sermon on money and saying like, give me your money today. Totally. It's like wounds here from prosperity gospel preachers or different manipulation that can happen in different religious structures. And we really want to um, pull apart this conversation in a way that encourages healthy thinking around money Mm -hmm. and not, um, doesn't trigger any like pain points for someone who might be listening. So if that is your story and you have been manipulated financially in the past by religious structure, we just want to say we are so sorry. And that's not the heart of Jesus. Yeah. And Jesus has a lot of really good things to say about money that will actually lead us into greater contentment and peace and will make the kingdom of God come more because money's a resource that can help build the kingdom when it's, you know, when it's resourced correctly. Totally. little disclaimer there for you as we go into tithing because it is a it's a complicated topic i think in our day and age just like with all the things you said a question i had was a little bit like the basics of like why we tithe you know like if this is something that was you know written in the old testament law and then like jesus like can't well he guess he said i didn't come to abolish the law amen i think for a long time (laughs) i thought that jesus said that he came to abolish the law but he fulfills the law. Mm-hmm. What do we do with the law? Really? Like <laughs> that should be a whole nother podcast, you know, uh, maybe it will someday. Yeah. And I think where, where I landed, even just mentioned this to Benjamin earlier is it's not this, like this, like have to, to get to heaven kind of a thing. Absolutely. not. Which I don't know. I don't know if I, if I ever believed that, but it feels like there's this stigma of like, you have to give 10%. Like, and it's kind of like you hold someone's arm a little tighter, you know, yeah. it's like, this is what we do, Whoa, you know? Oh yeah. And, and I mean, one, I've never felt that way at river house or probably in any of the churches I've attended, but for some reason that's in my head, Yeah. like some weird feeling about tithing. And so I'm like, yeah. So like, why, yeah. Why do we, this is to you, Benjamin. Sure. Why do we, why do we tithe? <laughs> like, where does it come from even? Yeah. Well, it's good. I don't, yeah. Well, it's good to deconstruct and pull away some of that baggage that exists mm-hmm. without naming any churches. There are churches that exist where it's like, if you aren't actually tithing and we're going to look at your pocketbook and prove that you are tithing. Mm-hmm. And if you're not, then you are, have fallen from the good graces of the church and from God. Oof. And there are churches that do that. Mm-hmm. So unfortunately, culturally like the church has um has committed some really unfortunate atrocities because of finances Mm. it's like even the say that the i I hope it's okay for me to say this i love the catholic church for so many reasons Mm -hmm. um but around the time of the reformation the indulgences of the catholic church that um, were encouraged to be paid in order to help people get out of purgatory faster 
in my opinion and in Martin Luther's, it's just a terrible atrocity of money, like um, manipulating people to give more um, in order to affect people's eternal fate. Um, that's nowhere in scripture and so damaging. Um, so money can be a really touchy topic. And so I I feel like it's it's warranted for people to feel a little twitchy around it. And we need to like blow through the twitchiness where possible and look at what scripture has to say. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have anything? You're just uh, Googling no, over there. No, I was... I, yes, uh-huh. you, I agree with everything you said. I okay. was going to try to make a funny joke about all the problems that Martin Luther had. Like he had this many reasons, oh, but yes. I can't think of the number of the, the 93 theses. Yeah, what it is? The, yeah. Whatever it is. Uh-huh. 95 theses. 95. I, I should know that. He I was has, baptized Luther. And he has 95. <laughs> yeah. 95 theses. Yeah. That's 95. And he has 95 reasons why, why that is the case. Is yeah. what I was going to say. But <laughs> oh, there you I go. Couldn't think, I couldn't think of it. So. Oh, we still got there. But, um, yeah, I'll just say about that whole law conversation, we could have a huge conversation around that and I want to someday, Mm -hmm. but let it suffice to say that the old Testament law was not designed to be followed because the letters of the law really mattered specifically. Mm -hmm. Instead, there's a heart that lies behind the law that matters. And that's true with any lawmaking. Mm-hmm. When we're looking at the Constitution yeah. um, for the United States, we're talking about what the Supreme Court does today, the way they interpret law, because what they're trying to get to isn't letters of the law, like the 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 literal meaning of it from the page, but like what is the heart behind it? Mm-hmm. Um, that's just a big conversation in general, in politics, in yeah. policy, in scripture, for mm-hmm. sure. And in... The Old Testament, what we should be seeing if we can be astute Bible readers, and this this is a high demand task, but if you can read the Old Testament law and read the wisdom that lies behind the instructions, mm-hmm. yeah, um, you'll have to be steeped in the culture in order to do that a lot of times, and you'll still miss a bunch of it, and that's okay. Um, but remember, it's the heart behind the law that we're mm-hmm. after. Um so, and I think we see that in even Jesus's sermon on the Mount a little bit too. Hmm, totally. Of like, Hey, you've heard that you shouldn't murder, but the heart behind it is mm. that you should not be angry towards your brother. Like, you know, like, Amen. I, I guess that's it. I'm glad I just thought of that. So, which it's in the sermon on the Mount that Jesus said, I done, didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Oh, there you go. So you closed your own loop. Oh, wow. Look at that. Well done. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> and that being said, Tithing is a practice that was instituted in the Old Testament. Um, Funny, before it was instituted in the law, Abram, before he was Abraham, Abram um, tithed 10% of all of his wealth, which was a huge amount of wealth, to Melchizedek, who's this kind of um, mysterious priest king of Shalom, Salem, um, which we think would have been Jerusalem in like a previous iteration of it. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a lot of mysterious stuff going on there. All I want to point out is Abraham honored a high priest of the most high God with a tithe, 10%. Mm -hmm. Um, It was like he was tapped into some kind of truth of wisdom that existed 
even in his time. And then a couple generations later, when Jacob has that crazy dream vision of his Jacob's ladder, mm-hmm. and he's looking at like the staircase and angels are ascending and descending at Bethel, the house of God. Um, he makes this covenant with the Lord that he's going to follow the Lord and the, the, the Lord will be his God and that he will do all the things that God asks him to do. And part of that covenant is I'm going to give you 10% of all of my wealth. Mm-hmm. So Jacob also like commits to a tithe to God. Um, it's like pre-law, pre-law just out of their own mm-hmm. encounter with the Lord. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important that's really to recognize. Yeah. Isn't that cool? That is cool. Wow. There's some stuff like that in the Old Testament where I've actually never heard a lot about tithing, so I'm learning a lot. Oh, right cool. Now. This is great. Well, we'll uh, I'll just kind of spark note it, but please do. We get more in Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 27, that tells us um, that all of the Israelites were to give the first fruits of their grain, their produce, if they had fruit. If they, ha- if they were herdsmen, they had animals or cattle. Um, this is kind of interesting. I found this detail that is basically interpreted to say the 10th of every cow that you have, yeah. give the 10th one. So if you have 30, give three of them. Mm-hmm. But if you have 25, then only give two of them. Mm-hmm. Um, be- you shouldn't like cut half of yeah. another one to give... 2.5 cows. Mm-hmm. It just says, give the 10th cow. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of interesting, right? Mm-hmm. Because the whole cow is better for the Levite, for the person who's inheriting it. And this is interesting to point out. We think of tithing and we think of money because that's how we think of it today. But in Israel's day and age, it was almost never cash. It was most regularly the crop or produce of the Israelite. So mm-hmm. if you were... Um, a vineyard land owner, then your tithe would be in wine mm-hmm. to the Levites. Yeah, and crazy. the idea behind that part of the tithe is um, all of the people of Israel inherited land mm-hmm. when they came into the promised land, except the Levites. The Levites didn't inherit any land. Um, I'll just read this from Numbers eighteen twenty one. The Lord said to Aaron, you will have no inheritance in their land, nor will you have any share among them. I am your share and your inheritance among the Israelites. I give you the Levites, all the tithes in Israel as their inheritance in return for the work they do while serving at the tent of meeting. Wow. Helpful context, right? Yeah, I kind of got a little emotional reading that. Wow, really? It's like, you know, just God being like, I'm, let me be your share. Wow. It's like, wow. I'm like, wow, they didn't get land, but I'm like, wow, they got God. That's pretty cool. <laughs> I'd rather have God than land. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's fun. I mean, everyone else got God too, but. It's true. They got more of eternity, God. Mm-hmm. However that works. Yeah. And, and I don't know, like the, the work that was available to them in the tent of meeting or the tabernacle was like a really sacred and important thing for the whole nation, Mm -hmm. for the whole community. And so because of that, if you were being served spiritually by a spiritual leader or priest, then it was your responsibility to care for that person's needs. Mm -hmm. Um, And now in that you can start to see how Paul then in first and second Corinthians 
takes that same wisdom truth of the tithe to care for those who are caring for you spiritually mm-hmm. um, and applies it to himself. And he says, I and others who are full-time workers of the gospel should be cared for by the gospel work that we do, which is his way of saying, this is in first Corinthians chapter nine. If you want to go look it up. Um, this is Paul saying, um, when I serve you, you should pay me because that's the only way I live. Wow. And it's kind of like, it feels kind of bold mm-hmm. for Paul to say that, yeah. but he's not a prosperity preacher. Cause most of the time he was saying that he was in prison after being whipped, <laughs> you know, he's not trying to pad his yeah. life with comfort. Mm-hmm. He's just trying to meet his basic needs. And if the church doesn't take care of him, then he doesn't, doesn't get taken care of. Yeah. Um, so he doesn't do what George Mueller did. Paul asks for wealth mm-hmm. or Paul asks for provisions. But, um, anyway, I just skipped a step a little bit, but I started talking about a historical tithe. Are you thinking anything, Jace? No, this is great. Oh. I mean, I'm listening and yeah. processing it. I'm not thinking <laughs> nothing. I was wondering <laughs> if you had any questions along the way. No, this is good. I think even just to see a big kind of biblical spark notes is really interesting. Yeah. To, you know, pre-law, law, Paul. Right. Well, like that. This is kind of curious. During the law, one of the things it says is give 10% of all of your produce in the land. Say you're an apple farmer. Mm-hmm. You're in an apple orchard. You're supposed to take 10% of your first fruits and they're supposed to be like really good apples. You can't give the gross ones with worms in them because <laughs> that's not charitable. That's yeah. not kind to the Levites that are serving you. Um, you go do that, but say for some reason you like need those apples and you really want them. You mm-hmm. can actually redeem them is the word in the oh, Hebrew. Wow. And to redeem something is to buy it back. So it's almost like there's this transaction that happens. You give it to the Levites and then you purchase it back from the Levites. But in order to do that, you have to buy it um, for 5% in addition to the 10% of its value. So it'd be like tithing 15% cash in order to keep that 10% of your produce. That's interesting. Isn't that curious? That's so cool. And there's a little law that's written in there. It's like, if for some reason you need to keep your 10th cattle, 10th of all your cattle Mm -hmm. or of all your goats, you can do that. Um, But it'll cost a little more to do that. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's what redeeming your tithe back means. Wow. Kind of curious, right? That's so, yeah, that's really, it's well thought out. <laughs> I think it is. There's <laughs> like these little details that says, hey, maybe you're going to need that. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have some disposable income. Mm-hmm. Then like swap it and we'll take the cash instead. But typically it's produce and livestock. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's kind of fun details, right? Yeah, people caring for people, caring for people. I love it. <laughs> and then we talked about this on a previous, I think it was on the, the celebration podcast that we talked about this, but Deuteronomy chapter 14 is really fun. It talks about this tithe where every three years you're supposed to save um, another 10% of all your income and take it to the Holy city, which will later be Jerusalem and have a huge festival and basically like celebrate the holy feasts. Mm. And so that tithe, you're not giving it to anyone entirely. You're, you're eating of it yourself and sharing it with the Levites and the poor. And it's really specific in telling you to share it with the widow and the orphan and the foreigner, all the people that can't provide for themselves. Wow. Um, 
So it's like, hey, save up some, save up some of your wealth. Every three years, we're going to feast together, mm-hmm. and all that is yours, you can take partake of and share with the people that can't bring anything yeah. because they're a widow and they don't have anyone to provide for them. So caring for the poor, the widow, the orphan, the marginalized is incredibly central to this conversation also. To finances, to tithing and generosity. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Totally. Mm -hmm. It's so essential to especially what the prophets will later say when the prophets are rebuking Israel. It's like you've forgotten what true fasting means. It means to care for the poor and the widow. Um, Isaiah says that in Isaiah 58, I want to say, but there's words like that all over the place. Um, so there's definitely a mandate to care for those in need. Mm -hmm. And you can see how both the care of the Levites and the care for the widow and the orphan are translated into today. Today's quote tithe is the care of pastors, the care of the people that run our churches, they're giving you, um, spiritual value. And in response, you are taking care of their basic needs. Mm -hmm. And also you're caring for the people that for whatever reason are in a bad situation and can't care for themselves. Yeah. There's like a collective pool Mm -hmm. of money set aside just for that. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. So very biblical concepts. Yeah. Should you tithe today? Um, I don't know. What are you getting out of all of this in answering that question? Yeah, that's a really, I was just thinking that. And I think where I'm kind of landing is, wow, I totally get why even outside of like all these scriptures, it's like, I could totally see how I'm going to be compelled to give up something for God, even just to be less attached to it but also for the betterment and the, to fill the call of mm. care for others. So it's like, and the care of the Levites. So then I'm like, yeah, I totally get why we should tithe. Wow. Like in that sense. That's sweet. The part of me that I'm curious, and if you could touch on a little bit, I know there are some people that say you have to give 10% to the church. Sure. Like, and that's like kind of a have to thing. Mm-hmm. Um, not, you know, not for salvation or anything, but that's just like what we do. Sure. Like, but with all the other verses you read, it feels like that could happen in a little bit messier way of like, I'm going to care for the Levites. So I'll give some to the church. I'm going to care for the people in need and my neighbors. I'll give some to them. I'm going to, you know, sponsor someone to go on a mission trip or a nonprofit around the world to give clean water or something. I'll give some to that, you know? So it's like, how does that, how do, how do you sit with like hmm. 10% to the church if, you know, let's say you're still giving 10% to God sure, and his global movement and That's the global good. kingdom? I guess I'm thinking the letter of the law is give 10% of all of my first fruits, which is income for mm-hmm. me, and give it to the people who are working the temple in Jerusalem. <laughs> and yeah. Those people don't exist today. Um, that letter of the law can't even be followed. Some people say, because of that, the law doesn't apply to you. Hmm. So do whatever you feel compelled to do. 
Um, the whole it's like, a dangerous sentence to say to a human. <laughs> <laughs> as long as there's a little caveat, what you feel compelled to do in relationship to the spirit. There it is. Come on. If the Lord is guiding your compulsions mm-hmm. there. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Which hopefully he is. Uh, but for sure it's super dangerous yeah. just follow your desires <laughs> yeah like, oh boy <laughs> well it, this is kind of getting sorry to interrupt you no, you're but good. like what you're talking about the constitution and the law interpretation now right what's the heart you know mm-hmm. where like we can't follow the letter to the law right i'm not going to mail a check to temple mount <laughs> right or shove it into the wailing wall like that's just not gonna be helpful <laughs> You know, so yeah, so sorry, continue. I just wanted to tie in that. I'm glad you did. Yeah. So you're going to have to interpret this somehow. Mm -hmm. Um, And some people have said, interpret it as the 10% that goes to the Levites directly apply it to now 10% of all your income should go to the people who run your local church Mm -hmm. because they're the ones that are caring for your spirituality. And just like the Levites were caring for the spirituality of Israel. Um, and to me that, that makes sense. Um, I don't think that that has to be the way that we interpret it. Um, but I think it makes sense that like I benefit from the church and the church should benefit from me. I think that's a healthy relationship that the people of God need to be in, especially because tithing helps me remember that all of my money is from God. I serve God primarily. He is my provider. I am not my provider. Um, and the, the, the act of tithing is a spiritual discipline that actually rescues me from the love of money. And I have the opportunity to invest in this community of people that I believe in. And my money is given just like you brought up to, to these benevolence funds. It's given to people through the church that need it. Mm-hmm. Um, and river house, in case anyone's curious, gives at least 10% of our intake every year out to the mission field. Mm-hmm. So we tithe as a church, which is kind of fun because the Levites were supposed to tithe. Um, it says it in Numbers 18, I think. I didn't read that earlier, but it says, yeah, Numbers 18, 26, that from the tithe that the Levites received, they are also supposed to give 10% of all of that to God. So you can tell that it's not just for the care of the Levites. It's actually, there's something about this um sacrificing a big chunk of what God has given me and trusting him to take care of me. That applies to all of us, Mm -hmm. including the church. Yeah, that's good. Um, Isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. I think that's an important piece to this puzzle. If we're going to carry that 10% rule over to the church today Mm -hmm. from the old Testament, then we for sure need to be carrying that part where the church also tithes. Yeah. Um, And where Levites tithe. So like if a pastor isn't tithing, but is asking people to tithe to their church, then I think that could be hypocritical. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think there are other people who would say, uh, Jesus doesn't ask us to give 10% anywhere Mm -hmm. directly, but we have stuff all over the new Testament to give, like we brought up earlier, give to God. What is God's? Mm -hmm. Um, we have, the early church doing really radical generosity and like everything that belongs to anyone belongs to everyone in the early church in Acts chapter two. Mm -hmm. So that makes it sound like I'm not just supposed to give 10%. I'm supposed to give like a (laughs) hundred percent. Yeah, totally. You know, like rich young ruler vibes, like Mm -hmm. sell everything and give it to the poor. Um, And I would say if we're interpreting the new Testament story, pretty 
rigidly, mm-hmm. we would be giving way more than 10%. So if, if yeah. all you give is 10%, then maybe that's kind of like a, Oh, I only have to give 10. And now this other 90 belongs to me and I can mm-hmm. do with it whatever I want. And that I think is also totally an error. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Um, and then there's another conversation about, well, if I do give 10% or 15 or whatever, do I have to give all of it to the church or can I split that up and give some to the church and some to these other missionary organizations that I believe in? Or should I give all of it to the field? Um, say you're like in between churches right now. Uh, I would say don't be in between churches too long. Plug into a community. That is a good word. And care for that community just as it cares for you. Mm-hmm. But I give charitably. Mm-hmm. Um Above and beyond what I give to the church. Yeah. So I've been compelled by the scriptures, um, but I don't ever want to get legalistic about it. This isn't a salvation issue. It's a spiritual health issue for yourself and and like a, a provision issue for the rest of the world. Oh, wow. Don't you think? Yeah, totally. So it's like a good way to put it, even just like the spiritual issue for yourself. And it's like, I, I mean, I think you've said it before, it's like, it's one of the spiritual disciplines of even just to, yeah, yeah, to be more reliant on God and to be more honoring of his church. shop a little bit is that I'm thinking of uh we have like these special conferences like word and spirit conference mm-hmm. at at Riverhouse and it's something that we probably could maybe fund through that general 10% tithe um but there's above and beyond costs of regular operations of flying a pastor out maybe renting a space or you know whatever it might be providing food that we don't don't normally do and I think, but the, the thing I'm getting at is usually we find that, that people value it and we're going to attend and say they're going to attend and follow through if there is a cost to it, if it costs, you know, $60 or whatever it might be. Um, and that's not just to like milk the congregation for all it's worth. <laughs> right. I just think we, it's just kind of this thing where we value the things that we put our money towards. Oh, uh, it's good. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's good. So I know, yeah, I'm not, that's kind of a, I don't, I don't want that to be a touchy subject. It's weird to talk about, to work for the church and talk about how we charge for things. And I don't know. Yeah. I can see how it would be a touchy subject. I have a friend who isn't a Christian, doesn't belong to a church. And he always brings up the most awkward stuff with me belonging to a church. And he says, yeah, don't you think like a church is a nonprofit. And I just think that's so bogus because it just means that the pastors can make more money. And to me, like it's all motivated by money. Wow. Um, this friend of mine has said that, mm-hmm. uh, and you could, you could see a church that way. And I'm, I'm tragically think that some churches probably do operate that way, mm-hmm. but no, for sure. Yeah. Not our case. We're yeah. not, we're not trying to pat our pockets and like, Lord help us if we ever are. Um, but 
we charge for events like that because they do cost and people who come to them get more out of it when they pay. Mm -hmm. I've even seen that with some events that I've run with school or whatever, different classes. Typically, the more you charge, the more buy-in. That's why we say buy-in. The more buy-in people have Uh, mm -hmm. in that class, it actually gets them to stay and like get something out of it. Yeah. You know, if if you're given a book for free, you're way less likely um, statistically to read it than if you purchase the book yourself. Oh yeah. Um, there's just little stats like that that are like, you'll, for whatever reason, you'll be more invested in something that you have put your money into. Mm -hmm. Um, which I think Jesus knew. And that's why he said where your money is there, your heart will be also where Mm -hmm. your treasure is. He says, and then he says, store your treasures in heaven. Um, the things that matter to you, invest them in the kingdom of God. Um, and that doesn't mean like, give all of your money to the church. I think it could mean give, give money to the church, give money to your hungry neighbor down the street that is yeah. currently experiencing houselessness and needs care. Um, I, I think it can look like a lot of things, but um, yeah, I th- I'm, that was a good point. I'm glad you brought it up. Money is just a wild topic yeah. and how we steward it. Um, it affects our relationship with ourself. Mm-hmm. It affects our relationship with others. It dramatically affects our relationship with creation yeah. and with God. Like money can be the explosive thing that breaks all of these four relationships. Yeah, totally. You know? yeah, absolutely. I think it's interesting just even how like it feels touchy or like controversial, mm-hmm. even though it's so like, normalized and like we I feel like mm. we can talk about it in so many other settings of like man how like what's your return on this stock and oh my gosh look at this and man the economy and wow the you know stock market this or whatever like it's like I feel like a lot of times there's we're just very comfortable about that um but in reality I think that's why like you know Christ talks about it so much and like it's it is he talks like the root of all evil you know yeah. So I think there should, probably should be a bit of trepidation before we like start talking about the root of all evil, <laughs> you know, like even like, yeah, vi- like there's a million things that are yeah. also like jealousy or, yes. you know, I'm trying to think judgment, covetousness. I mean, all those things. It's like, yeah, but like shame. he says like shame, <laughs> mm-hmm. but we're not like, I'm not so trepid about talking about shame and and conviction as I am like money. It's funny. Wow. I wonder if part of that is because comparison gets into it so quickly. Mm -hmm. And if I start to speak too openly about money, then other people are going to compare themselves to me or I'm going to compare myself to them. And then that pulls out shame or anger or that's unfair. How do you make that much? Or, Mm -hmm. um, like, you do that and that makes me feel bad because I don't do that much for the church or, you know, like that could go so many different messy directions. Mm -hmm. When Jesus says, I think he just is so wise. He always pulls us back to the heart. I'm thinking of Matthew 25 when he separates the sheep from the goats and says to the sheep, you fed me when I was hungry and clothed me when I was naked and you came and visited me when I was in prison. Mm-hmm. And they're all like, when did we do that to you, Lord? We never saw you in those places. And Jesus said, as you've done to the least of these, so you've done it to me. Like 
That is a heart that can exist behind the, the money conversation, the finances conversation. And if we're missing that heart, then, and, and we're tithing, but the tithing just feels like a cold check that we write every month or every three months or six months or a year. I don't know how you pay your tithes, but, um, yeah, if it's, if it's just a cold thing that you do without really being connected in your heart to the works of Christ, mm-hmm. then I think you're, you're missing something. But because treasure or money can be so tied to our heart, I think it's hard to give without being invested in the things of God that we give to. Which... Um, this might be a good thing to read in light of your earlier question that you asked, um, Jace, this is from second Corinthians nine. When you asked the question, like, should I give 10%? Should mm-hmm. I go to the church? Can I like give some to this other organization? And can that be from my 10% yeah. or, um, uh, I just think this is helpful in second Corinthians nine, six and seven. It says, The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Um, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Now, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Um, And like, recognize the potential trigger in that. Some of those words that I just read could make you think, oh, you're not going to reap a lot unless you sow a lot, which means you should give us more money and then you're going to make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And then prosperity gospel happens. Totally. And there's a couple places in the Bible where you could get the prosperity gospel out of it. But in this conversation, we need to be holistic. Mm-hmm. Um, if we start to get excited about the prosperity gospel, then hold the rich young ruler in your other hand and ask Jesus what that story has to teach your heart, yeah, <laughs> you know, cause totally. you, you can't be a prosperity gospel preacher or thinker mm-hmm. and respect the whole Bible and all of Jesus's teachings. I, I believe that so f- firmly. And there's something that verses like this have to say to us. They're like, maybe as we give, God will surprise us and we're actually not losing money and we're somehow like making more, or even if that's not the case, what we reap, if it's not money, it's blessing, it's mm-hmm. contentment. It's, oh, I'm not a slave to my money anymore because I'm giving yeah. this 10% away. And in the act of giving it away, I sever my need for it, my mm-hmm. obsession of it. Yeah. And I continue to rely on God, which is where my peace really is going to come from. And that is blessing over blessing over blessing. Absolutely. I don't care if you don't make a lot of money, you know? Mm-hmm. That's so good. Yeah, I, I see like, what if giving, you know, um, if you don't give, you're kind of bl- like blind to maybe what God's will is for the people around you. But when you do give, like you don't s- no longer see like just the will that you have for your own money, mm. but you like just are open to like God's eyes for the people around you. Wow, that's good. Um, I have a listener submitted, submitted question. Oh, please. Me being the listener. Oh. Um, <laughs> This is kind of just like a, I, I mostly just want to throw this in just to see how it goes. Yeah. Um, what do you say? Okay. I'm just going to like, what do you say to someone who's like a Christian Christ follower, follower, but is like 
out in the marketplace and just is constantly like asking for more money? Like should Christians ask for more money from their um, uh, jobs and their occupations? Or is that not living in contentment and like allowing the Lord to provide for you? Like where does that fall? You know, it feels kind of like it it was a question that came kind of out of the box in my head. I was like, oh, that's an interesting. Yeah. Maybe like someone who's trying to take, make more money. Yeah. uh, Asking for a promotion. Does that mean you're not content? Mm -hmm. Does that mean you're not relying on God to give you that promotion? Mm -hmm. You know, I think about the shrewd manager when you ask that question. And I Mm -hmm. think if you deserve a promotion, you should ask for a promotion. And then hopefully when you get that promotion, what are you going to do with it? And that is say you were making, I don't know, $2,500 a month. And now you're making three grand. Amazing. What are you going to do with that extra 500? Are you going to put it in a boat fund and buy yourself a, another yacht? (laughs) (laughs) Or are you going to like, Oh, I'm just thinking of John Wesley. I love John Wesley and his whole life. He made a lot of money. He was very successful from a financial standpoint. And what he did really early on before he started finding financial success in his preaching was he said, Lord, I'm going to find out what I can live on. And I'm going to commit myself to live on that every year. Wow. Regardless of what I make. Um, because I don't want my investment in the kingdom of God to make me worldly successful and for that to like pull me away from the things that really matter. So I forget what it was. It was, uh, you know, back in the 1700s, I think. Um, So he he, pounds sterling was the the currency because he was in the UK and he made something like 38 pounds one year and lived off of like 35 of it. Mm -hmm. So he gave the excess. And then the next year it was about the same. And the next year he made a little bit more, but he still lived on about 35 pounds. Mm -hmm. Um, And every year he still lived on around the same amount of money, but started making like hundreds of pounds, hundreds into thousands of pounds. He was making like so much more money that he was spending on himself, um, but he never increased his standard of living. He just gave all of the excess. That's amazing. I'm really convicted by that. Um, So I think for the person in the marketplace who's trying to ask for a good promotion, do it. Mm -hmm. Take care of your family. Um, Paul says here in Corinthians, like we read, if you have clothing and food, you ought to be content. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you need anything else than that? Like maybe it would be fun to invest in your community and buy like a nice thing that can bless your community in some way or whatever, but Mm -hmm. like you don't need that. And so you're not a sinner for buying those things for Mm -hmm. sure. Um, in moderation. Sure. I don't know, Mm -hmm. but I think that needs to be a conversation between each of us and God. And where are we going to be comfortable like living, um, without increasing our standard of living as our money increases, but if we give more and more and not just proportionally, but like, I don't know. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I love Like totally. I think think that was a really cool way to go. Oh, cool. Yeah. That John Wesley thing's wild. Oh, I was amazed. I like, I, in college, I looked at a graph of how much money he made and how much he lived on and how much he gave. 
And it was absurd. Yeah. It was like an exponential curve of how much he was making. Yeah. And how much he lived on was just a flat line. I was so impressed. I'm like, I have a lot of respect for a guy who has the self-control to not spend more money when he makes a lot more. Yeah. Um, Because he thought to himself, there's a world full of need and God is giving me more resources to steward the need around me. I want to meet those needs where I can. Um, and I'm not saying that everyone has to do that in order to be a good Christian, but that compels me. You know, it's like, it's like the stories that we hear about where brother Lawrence was in the presence of God. He claimed all the time for like 18 years that compels me to be in the presence of God more. That doesn't mean that like I'm a sinner for not doing that. I shouldn't feel shame for not praying while I'm washing the dishes all the time. Like brother Lawrence did. I shouldn't feel shame for not preaching to the birds like St. Francis did, but maybe I can learn from them, from them, these like great saints of the faith. And I think John Wesley is an example of that and, and others who have done similar things with their money because each dollar can be a soldier in the army that fights for your financial comfort. It can also be a tool that helps build the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. And those two things don't have to be at odds with each other, but um, I think these are questions that we need to personally wrestle with. And uh, if we're not inviting other people into it, then maybe there's room for us to grow. Mm -hmm. I would guess. Yeah. Don't you think? No, totally. Another question that I'm thinking of right now is in the New Testament, we do see, you know, sell all your possessions and give to the poor and follow me. And what, how, how do we balance that with, you know, the modern day pulls to, I don't know, to have mm-hmm. enough, what is enough? And like, what is, how does like that practice of simplicity, how should that maybe affect the believer? Mm-hmm the follower of Jesus. Yeah, that's good. I I think it's worth saying just in case a listener hasn't heard that yet that simplicity is a spiritual discipline of the church. Um simplicity in the way we live our lives and especially in the possessions that we accumulate. Um that has been a discipline that has helped people practice the way of Jesus. So just acknowledging that, I think could point out, oh, People in the church in the past and in other cultures have probably figured this out in a way that we haven't because we live in an incredible consumerism economy where (laughs) like the amount of advertisements that inundate us all the time are overwhelming. I don't know if you feel overwhelmed by that, but when, when I lived in Cameroon for five months, I didn't even realize that I wasn't surrounded by advertisements. It was so nice and I didn't even realize it. And then when I came back to the U S I was like, I get disgusted sitting in a Boise state game and realizing that literally everything is sponsored by something. Mm-hmm. The The first down was sponsored. Yeah. The touchdown is sponsored. Mm-hmm. The stadium is sponsored. The hot dog was sponsored. Everything. I'm like, ah, I just want to watch football. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? totally. It, it feels gross. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to recognize that that culture is super loud and mm-hmm. we have, it's like the water we're swimming in. And we have to fight against consumption, I think, because our culture is trying to take advantage of us so that people can make more money off of us, off of our desires. 
Um, so I think the spiritual disciplines like fasting and simplicity, um, for sure have something to say to that. And if you can dwindle the amount of clothing in your closet, if I can dwindle, I'm speaking to myself for sure in this, if I can dwindle the amount of things that I have, um, I would, I think, find more peace in it. Mm -hmm. It would be a healthy spiritual practice for me to have less. Cause I think the more we have, the more, um, pulled in different directions our heart can be and the less content we can be. So that's for, that for sure plays into this conversation. Yeah. Don't you think? Absolutely. I, I, I asked that question, but just had like a personal example pop into my head of, I've heard this phrase recently of like, um, middle-class clutter and, Whoa. and I'm like, and I can see it at like our house where it's like, we got a bigger house last year and somehow it feels more cluttered mm -hmm. than we did when our house was smaller. And maybe that's just the intention of where things go and, and that kind of thing. But it's also like that kind of rat race where, oh my gosh, like we don't have enough something, storage boxes, space. It's all this, like you don't have enough for all of our stuff. So we need to get more space for the stuff. Hmm. And I think that's, that's the wrong solution to that problem. Oh. When it's like, we don't, we, we look at this beautiful house we've been blessed with. Mm -hmm. Let's, if it's cluttered, if there's too many things, we probably just have too many things. I say yeah. that often, you know? Yeah. And it's like, that's a weird thing. Cause it's like, wow, the Lord is like, you know, bless us with these three bikes or whatever, or, yeah. you know, I have all these tools that I've collected over the years. And so how do I, how do I steward all that? Well, but even to make a space, that's not messy. And I don't know, there's something to that in that simplicity mm -hmm. argument that, I don't know if it's, I've, you know, watched documentaries about minimalism or the whole like Marie Kondo phase that yeah. came and went during COVID and of just like, does this thing actually spark joy for you? Wow. Yeah. Like if so, keep it around, but also care for it. And that was even something for this year for me, um, just at the new year, I was like, I want to like take care of the things that I have, you know? I want to, if I'm going to use a knife in the kitchen, I want that knife to be a sharp knife. I want <laughs> yeah. to be prepared sure. and take care of the things that I have. Cause like, what's the point owning a dull knife, Right. you know, or like, what's the point in having a toolbox that is unusable cause mm. it's so cluttered. Mm. Um, so I think I've gone on a tangent about clutter and not simplicity as much, but it's <laughs> where my mind went. Yeah. I see the connection though, for sure. And I guess that's an example of a way that we can be spending our money, um, accumulating more things. Yeah. I don't know why this example is coming to my head, but I think it could be fun to kayak. I've never owned a kayak. I have friends that own kayaks. It might help connect us if we shared the kayak yeah. or I could go rent a kayak, I guess. Mm -hmm. And I would have less space taken up by a thing that I need to store in my garage, which is really small. And I would also have one less thing to worry about cleaning and taking care of. And, um, it would drive me towards other people. Yeah. It allows you to lean on other people. Yeah. It's like, maybe we don't all need a DeWalt starter set from Home Depot. Right. It's like, Am I using my drill, my cordless drill every single day? No. no. And neither is Jeff on the street. So, right. you know, if Jeff has the drill and I have the kayak, you know, we've met in the middle. 
and now we're just drilling stuff on Quinn's pond together, <laughs> you know? And Spe- what a good friendship. I do have a kayak. That oh, we, really? It's hanging from our ceiling in our garage that I'm barely using ever. Wow. So you can use the kayak. We have to record the Deep Waters podcast on the kayak. Honestly, don't tell me. <laughs> that sounds amazing. That sounds so cool. Okay, well, well that's good to know. Thanks for the offer. Um, that is so funny. And, and this is another fun little nugget that I want to drop in there is I like to invest. Um, ever since I had my kind of change of heart about finances, I think investing is fun because I think it can be an opportunity for me to try and um, utilize my talents well. And say someday it's like a dream of my heart to have investments that pay me money, like passive income is what the you know finance world would call it. What if I made a good amount of passive income from investments, be it the stock market or real estate, and all that passive income that I made, I put straight into the mission field. Yeah, <laughs> you know? totally. Like I built churches in Uganda, I don't know, or... Uh, because of those investments, now I'm able to multiply my kingdom impact rather than able to multiply my personal welfare yeah. and storehouses. Stuff. Yeah. Storehouses. I think the world says have passive income so you can just get like the biggest pile behind you. Right. And you can retire at 50 and just feed off of that pile. You exactly. Know? And I think that's, I think the Bible says to not do that pretty sure. explicitly because mm-hmm. you might save up until you're 45 and have all this money for the rest of your life and die the next day. Right. Just like Christ says. Wow. And so it's like, you could have been even, you could have been investing that and maybe that money will just be invested once you die. And I don't know, Sure. but like, I think God wants to come through connection and this whole, this holistic shalomy thing, you know, Yeah. yeah. that's like to, that we are to be the vessels of restoration and wow. not just the stockpile of money that we collect throughout our lives. Wow. Cause I think we don't become more like Christ by doing that. Wow. This is good. It's practical too, isn't it? Yeah. I'm, I like that you brought the word Shalomi back up because I'm thinking like, what does Shalom look like in the way that I invest? Mm-hmm. What does Shalom look like in the way that I budget? Totally. Or don't budget. What does Shalom look like in the way that I track my finances or spend on a credit card or cut up my credit card like Dave Ramsey with aggression? (laughs) Or what does Shalom look like when I'm purchasing a house or choosing to rent or going to the grocery store and buying a bunch of things like in my finances? um, How is Shalom either being manifested or not being manifested? I think that's a question that needs to be um, on our mind in some way as Christians in every facet of our life because everything is spiritual. Yeah. Uh, we Say are that. holistic beings as Christians. Yeah. Um, I think and, like investments, mm-hmm. you know, you could invest in a company that is doing good in the world or is very conscious of how their resources mm-hmm. are managed, you know, or you can be investing in, you know, a a company that isn't doing that, that is, you know, stripping mines and not Mm -hmm. taking care of the workers and just, you know, down the line, like there's, that's part of the way we can either invest in Shalom or the things that we buy 
that you know are they holistically doing good for the world that's good um or down the line is that cost being taken off on someone else that's good wow i'm also reminded of when i lived in cameroon i lived on a hospital ship i forget if i've talked about this on the podcast but um on the ship we all lived in the same bunk rooms that were all small so whether you were from the united states or canada or australia or liberia madagascar ghana sierra leone um in other words if you were from a really affluent culture or a really like developing economy struggling with their finances we didn't know on the ship because we all wore like the same kind of uniforms I worked in a kitchen, so we all had our kitchen outfits on and we all lived in the same like four foot by six foot box that was so small and we all had the same dresser and wardrobe thing. And it was like, not that I'm encouraging, you know, like us to all live in communes, Cinderblock, communist. Yeah. Like communes. Um, but there was something really beautiful that I experienced on the ship when we lived without some kind of outward manifest expression of wealth. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm trying to say. No, I, 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 yeah, totally. Um, and not to convict anybody who has really nice things, but, uh, like if I'm in relationship with a person and I am walk up in really phenomenal designer clothing. That's a different brand of designer clothing every day. And my friend is wearing clothes that they bought at the thrift store. Cause that's all they could afford. Um, that will, that will play into both of our heads. You know, the way that I see that person and the way that person sees me, that will affect our relationship. Um, just because money is gross like that. And I think we need to be aware of those things. And I think it's, it's healthy to practice modesty and simplicity while also appreciating good things. I am not saying don't buy a really nice Patagonia puffy jacket. I love <laughs> supporting Patagonia yeah, <laughs> or whatever. Absolutely. There's so much nuance in this and exactly. I don't want anyone to feel guilty or shameful about the things that they have, but I just want us to live with intentionality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I'm so glad you said that because I too am incredibly passionate about, you know, buying ethical things and and trying to live as simply as I can. I'm not very good at it. And even it's like, you know, life is complicated. And there's times where I'm like, I need a new shirt and I don't have enough money to go buy a Patagonia shirt or, you know, an Everlane shirt or just, uh, you know, something that I know is pretty sustainable. It's like, I'm going to go bite the bullet and get something at Target, you know? Yeah. And it's like, that's just, it's complicated. And mm-hmm. and I, I have to have grace for myself, grace. you know, and I have to also be responsible with my money. You know, it's like if I'm spending $60 on every t-shirt that I need or whatever, mm-hmm. and I'm either not tithing or, you know, we're going into debt, yeah. um, irresponsibly, like that's where, that's where it's all balanced, you know? Yeah. So it's like, sometimes you gotta like to not go into debt, to not do these things, you have to buy what you can. Wow. And so there's so much grace for that. You know, Amen. we live in such a complicated fallen world that, even when, if I buy this, you know, ethically sourced thing that's made in a really nice factory in Vietnam or whatever, it's still going to hop aboard a ship that's burning fossil fuels to get mm-hmm. here. That's being driven by an alcoholic UPS driver. That's like struggling. <laughs> it's like, wow, that no thing, no offense to UPS drivers or anything, but I'm just like, <laughs> like, you know, it's like, it's a fallen world, you know? Yeah, totally. And so 
but we i just think like you said just the awareness that simplicity has been a practice for 2000 years in the church just the awareness that we are to be um uh open-handed with our money and recognize that it's the lord just the awareness that the things that we buy you know have effects mm-hmm. downstream like that's 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 kind of almost the, the whole battle, <laughs> you know, at least step number one, and that's a huge step. Exactly. And so I, I, nothing that we say in this podcast today, I, I want to feel shameful at all. Same. Or to I, bring I've up comparison. Things, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. And, and maybe I'll just wrap up by like inviting us to think about how our money is affecting us our relationship with God, ourselves, others, creation. Um, if you tithe, why do you tithe? Has it been beneficial for you? If you give a certain amount, why do you give that amount? Not more, not less. If you don't give at all, why? I think um, living in that way with intentionality is really a healthy thing. So if you only decide you're going to give 5% to the church, 1% of your income to the church, um, do it with purpose, you know, and make sure that you feel in your heart of hearts, like you are living to a standard that Jesus is calling you to. Now I would say a hundred percent of your money you should consider as God's that he has put in your hand to steward. Um, I like to live palms up as Bob Goff would say. Uh, and I think it's interesting just to point out that the average giver, according to Christianity today, just last year, I think, um, the average giver to a church donates 2.5% of their annual income. Um, and I guess a question is what if we did tithe? Um, not, not what if we did tithe because then the church like, would have so much more money and we need fancier projectors or something. Yeah. Fancier cameras. Yeah. We, we have nice things, but what if, what if we had that much money to invest in the kingdom of God? You know, what if we multiplied the money that the church in America has by what would it be? 400%. Yeah. That'd be amazing. Like what good could the kingdom of God if the church has stewarded it well. Yeah. How much can we take care of one another mm-hmm. like the early church did? Like how much more can we look like that and, you know, rely less on, you know, mm-hmm. the imperfect nature of government welfare programs. Right. You know? Honestly. Where say it's that. like where, where where the church could through connection and, and accountability and, and encouragement and, and the care to see people thrive. Um I feel like that seems like a more holistic yeah. shalomy way of giving and helping mm-hmm. than kind of the, uh, what's the word? The entitlement that we see mm. kind of happen through what we expect from the government. Yeah. It's I don't good. know. Again, complicated, complicated, but so good. And then so even good. like, I think some quick numbers, like we'd probably bring in like twice as much money here at River House. Yeah. If people tithe properly, mm-hmm. just after some maths that we did, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of wild, you know? Yeah. And and I think of someone that like 
I'm really excited about our land that we got. Yeah. And man, I'd love to see that money invested in like a really beautiful place that one we could call home as a church, but isn't fancy to be fancy, but is a gift to the city, you know, I and gift that. to the surrounding neighborhood that has places of equipping and like all this stuff. And I mean, we could build a big center block square, but like <laughs> how much more wonderful it would be to see humanity partner with God and like building something genuinely like architecturally beautiful, Wow, I you know, that. like with craftsmanship and care and like that feels like a, a worthy thing to spend money on in my wow. opinion. And so that's where I'm like, that's where I'd love to see, you know, to, to help and aid the community to become better and grow better and that kind of thing. That's exciting. And I, I think in that, in those numbers, we should also point out like river house is definitely above average and how our average, average participant gives money. Um, as far as our estimates on the numbers work. Um, but I don't know what a church would look like if it actually gave 10%. If there are any churches in our country that do that. Um, one article that I was reading showed that um, the Christianity Today, you know, said that average Christian donates 2.5% today. In the Great Depression, they were donating 3.3%. <laughs> which still less than tithe by quite a bit, but more than the average Christian donates today, the Christian was donating during the great depression. That is wild. Which probably goes to show you that it's less about how much we have, um, that makes up how much we give and more about the posture of our heart and yeah. the decisions we're making. Hmm. So anyway, I'm walking away from this conversation feeling convicted and challenged. And I think that's a really healthy place to be. And I hope that no one feels shamed, but we all fall in the grace of Christ here and there's no, I have to, but this is all an invitation into the fullness of the abundant life of Christ and into sharing in the goodness of the kingdom of God that we're invited into. You know, Jesus says, That's so good. your will be done Lord as it is in heaven. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think I, I hope this brings up a lot of questions and if you do have questions, please send them in. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it'd be cool to discuss some off the hand questions like next time we record. Um, so if this has sparked anything into you and you have, you know, kind of random questions like the one I asked about getting raises, you know, it's like, yeah. I think that's, that'd be cool to discuss. Not to say that we're experts, but I just, I think it's good to always practice good discourse as well. Amen. So that's why we're here. Yeah. Deep Waters Podcast, but ugh, golly, the Deep Waters <laughs> Podcast, baby, is what I was going to say, <laughs> and just butchered it. That's good. Wow. Thank you, friends. Yeah. This is a big one. This was a big podcast. Thanks for hanging in there this whole time. There's a lot to say about money, and we could have said more, but this is a good mm -hmm. place to end. Yeah. Yeah. Feeling good? Be blessed. Feeling groovy. Be blessed. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for listening to the deep waters podcast if you have comments questions or concerns maybe even a recipe or two please send them to deepwaters at riverhouseministries.com and if you would like to join us at riverhouse for sunday service we meet at the vineyard boise at 4 p.m we'd love to see you there
We could not do this podcast without a little help from our friends. Our theme music was written and recorded by the Riverhouse Worship Team. Production is done by Jordan Sodeman. Special thanks to Isaiah Guerrero for our artwork. Benjamin Olson writes and co-hosts with me, Jace Langley, and I also edit this bad boy. If you like this podcast and want to keep going on this journey of discipleship with us, please leave us a review wherever you listen to the Deep Waters podcast. May Christ be with you wherever you go.